You know, uh, last, last night my wife said to me, I can tell you're really excited to get back to your job, aren't you? And I said, I am. I am so glad. I love all of you of the Compass Church, all of you at our 95th Street campus, everybody at Bolingbrook, folks at Wheaton and at Hobson. I just love our church. Now, I did really enjoy my break. hope you're not offended by that. I am so grateful for a July study break. It is a tremendous blessing. It's good for my soul. Can I just tell you, I came into it thinking, you know, I really don't need to slow down. I feel good. And then getting into it, I realized, wow, I was more uptight than I realized. And by lowering the RPMs just a bit, I experienced soul blessing. My relationship with the Lord was at new levels. I just heard his voice and felt his ministry healing and growing my soul in beautiful ways. So I'm grateful for that reason. I'm grateful for my family. We had some great family time. We took a week road trip uh, out west. We went through Missouri and the Ozarks and then into Kansas, where we made some historical stops that bored my kids to tears, and then into Colorado for a few days, and Nebraska, Iowa, and home. Great memories, you know, all five of us stuck in that van. You know, that'll, that'll create some stories, huh? I'm grateful for the trip because of the progress that was made in series planning. You know, the, the, the primary goal is to have time where 12 months of sermon series prep can be done. And it's always a little intimidating staring at a blank, blank screen going, okay, what are we going to do for 12 months? And inevitably, and it happened this time, I felt like, oh, I'm not making progress. It's not happening. And that panic sets in, followed by God showing up at right the right moment. And sure enough, ideas start being given and clarity and boom, 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 that is going to work. Oh, that's great. I got, I got 12 months planned that I am so excited about, believing that God's going to use these studies in my life, in your life, and through us, you know, we have a 12 months of incredible kingdom advancing adventure with Christ. Can't wait to do it with you. And I can't wait for this new series, Cain Reaction. You know what a, a chain reaction is, right? Kind of that domino effect where one thing happens and it causes another, which causes another, that kind of thing. And just to transition into that, I thought I'd tell you a silly story from my childhood. It's a chain reaction of sorts. I was a uh, 13-year-old when my parents, the first domino to fall was them upgrading to a king-size bed. They had a queen, they decided to go up to a king, and the next domino was they looked at me and said, do you want our old queen? And I'm like, yeah, I thought I was living large as a 13-year-old in a queen-side bed. My mom did warn me, though, she said, Jeff, we're not going to buy you new sheets, you got to use our old sheets, and they're all flower sheets, (laughs) are you okay with that? And I'm like, yes, I'm confident in my masculinity and I can sleep in a flowered bed. Well, there's the problem. So the, you know, the domino of them getting a bed led to me getting a bed, led to me getting flowered sheets. Well, one night in the middle of the night in the dim light, those flowers looked like spiders. Has that ever happened to you where uh, maybe as a young kid you were sure you saw something? Well, I woke up and I was surrounded by spiders and I started pounding on them, jumped out of bed screaming, ran out of my room. Ah! Well, 
next domino to fall is just at that moment, my brother, had, my youngest brother, Mark, who's six years younger, had woke up and needed to go to the washroom. Well, he's just coming out of the washroom, sleepy, you know, and I come up, well, as, so if I'm 13, he would have been seven. As a seven-year-old, he went ballistic. He started screaming and running. He didn't know what we were running from, but he knew it must be bad. And Mark knew just where to run. He ran down the hall straight into my parents' bedroom to jump into their bed. Well, one other uh, detail. With their new bed, they got a new bench, wood bench, at the end of their bed that my brother didn't know about. And in the dark, he ran straight into that bench. I can remember hearing the sound of his shins on that wood. And suddenly, his screams of terror turned to screams of agony. And I'm, ah, ah, and Mark is, ah, and Dave, my middle brother, comes in, what's going on, you know? And my dad didn't know. He's flicking on the lights trying to figure out what's happening. And when we put it all together, the five of us just laughed and laughed and laughed. Chain reaction. All started with a new bed, and man, did it leave to a crazy night. Well, we're not here to talk about that chain reaction. We're here to talk about a spiritual chain reaction where the first domino to fall is love for God. When you love God, what does that change? Well, this topic of love for God is immense at the Compass Church. You may be aware, if you're new, you should know that our mission statement is to love him more So more love him. It's all about more people loving him more. We're really focused on this objective of growing in affection for God. I'll be honest, when I preach, one of the central goals of my preaching ministry is to describe God in words from the Bible that help you see how beautiful, glorious he is so that you are one to love him. You know, we talk about our four priorities Pursue, connect, serve, reach. It's all about activities that foster affection for God. Someone could be uh, critical of our mission statement. No one ever has, but maybe you thought this. And say, it's oversimplistic. There's more to the Christian adventure than just having affection for God. You ever thought that? Someone could say that, you're telling me that if you become a church where everybody loves God a lot, that's enough? Isn't there more? than that. And you know what? They're right. There is more to this Christian story than loving God. But here's the fun part. I've discovered that all the rest of it flows out of that love for God. That if you get first things first, if you grow to where you just adore the Lord, the rest of the story will be a natural chain reaction from that love of God. And that's what the series is. It's really a expansion of our mission statement. I've always wanted to do this, and now I have my opportunity. I want to say, what is a life of love? Where you really love the Lord, what, what is people who are lovers of God, what does their life look like as a result of that burning affection for God? And that's what, we have five weeks to talk about five ways that our lives will be changed because of our love for God. And this first week is called a new love. When you love God, you'll get a new love. 
And that's a love for people. That's what the new love is. You love God. It will result in you loving people. So let's dive in, shall we? Our passage uh, is Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36. Maybe you're newer to our church or newer to the Bible and you don't know where this is. So let me just give you a little heads up. Page one, page 990, 990 is where Matthew 22 is. And here a, a scholar, he's, he's a theological scholar talking to Jesus uh, quizzing Jesus, interrogating Jesus. He has a question for Jesus. And he asks, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus, tell me what's number one as most important. And Christ answers with words that are familiar to many of us. 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind, This is the first, Jesus says. This is the greatest commandment. Normally when I've taught, I've stopped there. But the passage continues. Jesus wasn't asked for the second commandment, but he decided to give it anyways. Jesus says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I love that last phrase. In fact, let's highlight that. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What are the two commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus says all the rest hangs on those two. This is a chain reaction statement. Jesus is saying if you get these two, the rest, they hang on them. The rest will follow. Uh, the law, what's curious is the, the most popular part of the law is the Ten Commandments. And scholars have noticed that the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament are based on these two. Love God and love your neighbor. In fact, the Ten Commandments have been divided by some into two tables. The first table, being the first four of the ten, is all about loving God. The second table, which is the second six commandments, are all about Loving your neighbor. Sure enough, the Ten Commandments flow right out of those two. But it's more than the Ten Commandments. Here, it says all the law and the prophets. Law and prophets was how in Jesus' day, they pointed to the totality of Scripture as it existed then. Jesus is saying, people, love God, love your neighbor. I'm telling you, it all flows out. Domino effect will come out of that. Not only will there be a domino effect Because of commandment one and two, I believe that there's a domino effect within commandment one and two, meaning domino one is love God, and it causes you to love your neighbor. It doesn't say that here, but it does in other scriptures. It helps us see that by loving God, it will lead to loving your neighbor. One example would be 1 John 4.20. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister, they're a liar, the passage says. It goes on to say, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. This passage is kind of saying, you know, if you claim, oh man, I love God, can't stand people, but I love God. No, God says it doesn't work that way. If you really love God, you will find yourself loving people. Do you ever ask yourself, how, how, if that's true, how does loving God result in us loving our neighbor 
as ourselves. I spent some time thinking about that and thinking about Scripture. I came up with three. There may be more. I came up with three ways that loving God leads to loving people. Here's one. One of them is the overflow of God's love. What I mean by that is if you love God, it's because he first loved you. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. And so if you love God, you're in a love relationship with God. He's loving you. You're loving him. And when you're experiencing God's love, he pours out his love in such overabundance that it'll spill out of your life. You'll find your heart so full of love that you'll want to love others with what you're receiving from God. Does that make sense? It's one of the ways. A second reason that loving God leads to loving others is this. Um, it, It says that we, and this actually just makes logical sense, when you really love somebody, you care about what they care about, right? Think about it. Uh, you may not care about people, but when you fall in love with God and discover that people are precious to him, you say, well, Lord, I'll, I'll look at them through your eyes now. It's kind of like my kids, you know, their best friends matter to me because I love my kids so much, and if those friends matter to them, they matter to me. And when we fall in love with God, we start seeing others through the, the eyes of the one we love, and we realize, oh my, are they precious to him. So now they're precious to me. One, one more reason that loving God leads to loving others is found in Matthew 25 there. It's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And in that parable, Jesus said that when you love people who need love the most, God receives it as love for himself. When you love them, God says, you're really loving me. In other words, when you feel his love for God and you're like, oh, Lord, I love you so much. How can I show you? God says, go love those people because when you love them, you're loving me. I receive your love for them. I receive it as love for me. And so those who really want to show their love for God realize he's directing them to express it by loving others. And friends, sure enough, falling in love with God leaves like a domino effect to loving others. I know it because it's in the book. I know it because I experienced it in my life. And this is embarrassing, but I'll just tell you. I've said it before if you've been here a while. I used to not like people. Yeah, you're probably in that category. Uh, Meaning I didn't like you. No, what I'm I'm referring to earlier as a younger man, my heart was very self-centered. I had my agenda and my career aspirations and my hobbies and my interests. And get out of my way, would you? I didn't have love for God, and I found most people annoying. Well, in my college days, I fell in love with Jesus Christ. Though I had grown up in a Christian home and committed my life to Christ and was going through the motions, it was more rules and ritual than relationship. And in college, the beauty of God, of, of, of the heart of God displayed in Christ, just captured me. And his love for me became a tangible dynamic, and I just fell head over heels in love with the Lord. And an unexpected consequence of my love for God was I saw people different. All of a sudden, these same guys on my dorm room floor that annoyed me, now I'm realizing, oh my, they are absolutely precious to Almighty God. And he is calling me to express my love for him by loving them. And this new, shocking, unexpected love for people welled up in me. And I've been riding that wave ever since. Friends, it works. You really grow in your love for God, it will be expressed in love for people. And so 
I want to highlight this now, what our focus for this message, again, a new love, and the new love is loving your neighbor as yourself. At the Compass Church, we are not just about loving God. We are also about loving others as an expression of our love for God. All right. Let's talk about this verse. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, as you love yourself, go love others that way. Jesus assumes we love ourselves, And you may argue with him on that point. You may say, no, I hate myself. There's a lot of us who struggle with self-esteem matters. And though we don't like ourselves, we still show love to ourselves. We are naturally selfish, focusing on getting what we want, focusing on trying to find joy, focusing on pursuing our goals and our agenda. We just orient, naturally, our lives around maximizing and lifting up the quality of our life. Jesus is saying, you know how you do that? Turn outward and do that for others. Love, at its essence, is others-focused. It's a desire to bless, to uplift, to bring value and joy and passion to others. You can go around each day saying, it's about me. It's about me. Get out of my way. It's about me. I have tasks to accomplish and dreams to pursue. And Get out of my way. Or you can be about them and say, how can I uplift you? That's love. And friends, the difference is so extreme. I, I saw it at Ace Hardware this week. I go to Ace Hardware quite a bit, one of my favorite stores. And I was there this week buying something, and I found myself. I had to choose between two lines, two cashiers. I noticed, Jeff, you subconsciously picked the longer line. I never do that. I always look for the shorter, faster line. And I'm, I'm always, you know, moving while I'm making the most of my time. And I'm like, why did I take the longer line? Oh, I see why. The cashier in the line I picked is the sweetest lady who's worked there like 40 years. And she loves me so... She knows me by name. And she's every time, Jeff, how's my favorite pastor? What are we building today? You know, and and I'll stand in line for love. I mean, obviously, there I am. (laughs) The other line, I know her too. She's got to be the crabbiest lady that has ever lived. I always feel like I'm, you know, ruining her day by standing in line. She'll be like, do you have an Ace Rewards member number? I do. Do you want to use it? I do. Oh, what is that? You know, and it's just putting her out, and she makes it clear. Here's a crabby lady. It's all about her, and I'm a, an irritant. The loving lady, she is going to direct every bit of her soul into uplifting me up. And so, yeah, I'll stand in that line. Now, some of you really godly people are like, Jeff, you should have stood in the line of the the crabby lady so you could love her because she probably needs it more. Touche, you're right. I'm not that godly. I'm, I'm a work in progress, you know. And my immaturity led to a moment that's making my point. So my point is that (laughs) the beauty of love, which is selfless, contrast to selfish lack of love, it's just light and dark. All right. Well, 
The good news is that Jesus Christ, the one who calls us to this mission of selfless love, demonstrated it himself. Jesus would never call us to something he himself wouldn't live first. And sure enough, when you ask, did Jesus love his neighbor as himself? Oh my, nobody in the history of planet Earth did a better job of making it his mission every day to be about others, to figure out how can I heal? How can I celebrate? How can I pray for? How can I encourage? How can I challenge? How can I inspire? How can I bless other people? That's just the way Jesus lived and it's the way he died. When you look at the death of Christ, we see again, it's all about him giving everything. In fact, it says in John 15, verse 13, Jesus saying, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus says, you want to know the greatest love? Die for your friends. And that's what Christ did. Jesus chose to suffer and die on the cross for his friends, that'd be us, so that his death would take our place, so that our guilt would be paid for by his punishment, so that we could find reconciliation with God and eternal life in heaven forever. And Christ goes, I just, I live to give, and I invite you to do the same. And so Jesus calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I have a little illustration here that I hope maybe makes this even more clear. My son Jake, 11, uh, he and I have been playing this game of war recently quite a bit. Have you ever played war with a deck of cards before? It's a simple game. You divide the deck into two halves. Each person starts with an equal amount of cards. And you just flip a card, and they flip a card, and whoever has the higher card gets those two cards, and they add them to their deck. And eventually, one guy ends up with all the cards, and the other loses. Uh, Now, it's a simple game. One could say boring. I found a way to make it interesting. When Jake isn't looking... I take a look at my cards and I pull out the one I'm looking for and I place it on the bottom of the deck. And then at a strategic moment, a strategic moment would be like a tie. A tie is a big deal because when you both put down the same, then everybody puts down three bonus cards and then you flip up a card for the tiebreaker and the winner takes all those cards. So those tiebreakers, a little sleight of hand, rather than, he doesn't know this, but rather than taking the top card, I grab that one on the bottom that's been waiting for a moment like this and put it down. And you're like, Jeff, you are a cheat, man. I lost all respect for you. Well, before you jump to conclusions, one little detail you should know. It's like, I did it here. The one I keep on the bottom is a two or a three. It's a loser. My goal is for Jake to win. Seeing my son's delight in victory brings me so much joy. He, he wins, you know, he gets all worked up about one of these ties with all these cards down, and he's like, I win every tie! He's like so excited. He's like, Dad, look at all the cards I've got, you know? Some of you are like, you're, you're damaging your son, you know? He's going to become addicted to gambling because of some irrational confidence that developed in his childhood, you know? Yeah, probably. But I just love seeing him win. And so I know that the point of the game is supposed to be to get cards, but I've reversed the objective and made the point to give cards. Friends, I know that the point of life, most would say, is to build a better life, to get cards, to get more stuff, to get more 
tasks done to advance your life. Jesus says, how about we reverse the game? And how about we make the objective of every moment of your life to bless others with more cards, to bring them more joy, to bring more value to their life, to lift them up every moment. See, here's the danger. Uh, When we aren't thinking that way, you'd say, I would never steal cards from people. When you go through life unlovingly, when you're impatient, irritable, focused on your task, and just kind of bumping people, you're knocking cards out of their hand without you even realizing it. But when you follow the way of Jesus, your eyes are looking out, and you're saying, how can I strategically find a way that will be meaningful to you so that you walk away from this interaction with a heart that's soaring, with a deck that's bigger because of our interaction. I had opportunity this week to give some cards, if you will, to some people. I had opportunities that arose from just a horrific disaster in the Griffin house. Our AC went out. And our dishwasher went out in the same week. I mean, Two tragedies that obviously you can't live without, you know. Uh, There's no way to survive. So I called the AC repair guy, and it dawned on me as he arrives at the door, I have a mission. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he told me to love my neighbor as myself, and here he is. And so I said, Lord, help me love my... I asked him, I said, hey, while you fix my AC, do you mind if I hang out with you? He's like, sure, come on. I, I tried to express my gratitude I said, man, my family, we have been sweating, and you're saving the day. I can't tell you how grateful we are for your service. I, I, I complimented him. I'm like, wow. I'm like, you know your stuff. He goes, I've been fixing these things for 35 years. I'm like, I'm a pastor. I looked at it. I have no clue, but I'm impressed with your expertise. Philippians 2 says, Love people by showing interest in what they're interested in, not just what you're interested in. So I asked him, I said, hey, when you're not fixing AC units, what are you doing? And he looked at me and goes, I love to fish. I'm like, dang. I, uh, uh, this is a <laughs> sore spot for me. My brother Dave and my dad are fishermen. I hate fishing. And they always have bonded and left me out. And it's kind of a, um, he's the, they, the AC guy looked at me and he's like, do you like to fish? Not really. Uh, I said, but tell me, what have you caught lately? And that's all it took. He launched into stories about this new fishing hole that he found. He told me where it was as if I cared. And then he, uh, <laughs> you know, told me about what he caught in this largemouth and smallmouth and boom, boom. And I I entered into his joy as he celebrated his most recent catches. Invited him to church. By the time he left, he he was fine, as was I. And I think he walked away with a deck that was a little larger, a little more life, because the love of God came to him through me. Two days later, the dishwasher repairman shows up, and I know I'm called to the same way. He's walking towards the dishwasher, and I make a weather comment, you know, kind of a cloudy day. He looks at me, a great day for fishing. I'm like, you're kidding me. (laughs) He said, I love fishing. Are you into fishing? I'm like, no, but tell me, have you caught anything lightly? And boom, there he goes. 
by God's grace, the Lord gave me ideas on how I could lift him up and love on him. Who, who is our neighbor? You say, those guys aren't your neighbor. Those are repairmen from a different neighborhood. <laughs> Let's talk about who our neighbor is. It's not meaning literally those who live on your street. The way that it was used is those whom you rub shoulders with. Anybody who crosses your path, that's who your neighbor is. So that may be those who live on your street. It definitely means those who live in your house. Your neighbor is your coworker. Your neighbor is your extended family member, the person you golf with. These are the people. Your friend who's going through a hard time, you better show them love. They need you. This is encouraging. This is focusing. I'll tell you why. Uh, Jesus' vision is revolutionary. He wants to flood this world that is so love-deprived with his divine love. And the call to love billions is a bit overwhelming. We could be like, oh, there's so much need. I can't do it. And Jesus says, oh, I'm sorry. Let me clarify. Just do your part. Well, what's my part, Lord? You love those who you cross paths will. It's not going to be millions, but that's okay. The Lord's strategy is for each of his disciples to love their neighbor, and by each person doing their part, the world is going to experience a love revolution. By more disciples following Christ in his ways, by more disciples spread over this globe, and by each of those disciples taking on their calling as lovers, there is a love revolution Christ desires is bringing to this world. I heard about this love revolution in a sermon just recently. I think it's the sermon watched by more people than any sermon in the world history. You say, what sermon are you talking about? It was last May, and it was the royal wedding. Remember? They, the, the couple asked a Chicago-born preacher come to officiate their wedding. His name is Reverend Michael Curry. And uh, boy, I, just to be clear, I didn't, I feel like I'm defending my, I didn't watch the wedding. You know, of course not. You know, I'm a manly man. Yeah. But I heard about the sermon and I heard about how amazing, how this guy stole the show and how everybody was amazed at the power of what he said. So I had to hear his sermon. And sure enough, he was preaching in the wedding on the same text that we're studying right now. Jesus teaching on the first and second great commandments. And in it, he talked about how Christ has come to die on the cross, to win people to himself and to send them out with the mission of loving others and that love is powerful. And one, it was so funny, he had fire, you know, he's all these, you know, tight, stiff uh, Brits, you know, sitting there like this, and this Chicago-born fiery preachers lighting them up. It was kind of a tension that I enjoyed. Anyways, when he was really getting into it, and I'll, I'll quote what he said at that moment, he said, imagine a world where love is the way. And when he says love is the way, he's, he's not meaning that love happens occasionally, but rather when this has become normative, when people realize, no, this way Christ called us to live is the best way to live. That's what he's talking about. Imagine if that was the norm. 
He said, imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine homes and families where love, it's just the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities where love is the way. Imagine governments and nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce where love is the way. He said, imagine this tired old world when love becomes the way. And then he clarifies, unselfish, sacrificial, redemptive love. That's the vision of Jesus Christ. And you're his agent to bring about that vision. I am his agent. We are his agents. Are we turning away from the self-centeredness that comes so naturally? And are we learning to live each day, every moment, every interaction, striving to give and to uplift and to bless people through loving them? Or are we still too self-preoccupied? That's the question. Shall we pray? Jesus, we want to thank you for this vision. Thank you for speaking with focused clarity about loving you, God, and loving our neighbor. Would you help us, Lord? Please help us. We want so badly to get this right. We all find ourselves becoming crabby, irritable jerks sometimes, and we want to be like Jesus. Teach me. Teach my friends. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us ideas how in each moment, in each interaction, we can love. Even today, even tomorrow, even this week, lead us to live this way. May love be the way in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.